Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning in with me here. I got a new episode for you. It's number 39, I believe. It's called Good Night City Lights. And if you were at my book launch last night, Katie from Sober Saturdays was there mixing up really high-end non-alcoholic cocktails. And one of them, my favorite one actually, was called Good Night City Lights. She named them all after my poems. And uh, she didn't tell me she was doing that. So when I saw them, I was like, (laughs) my heart exploded a little bit. Um, It was so delicious. It had memento in it, which is a non-alcoholic spirit from Milan. And Katie's the only person, Sober Saturdays is the only uh, people who have that in Canada or even North America. She imports it here. So uh, it's kind of like a rose sort of like honey flavor to it. It's really good. She mixed it with um, coconut water, rose syrup, lime, mint, and topped it off with cracked black pepper. I feel like there's other stuff in there that I'm not remembering, but oh my gosh. It was so good. You hardly, uh, you don't miss the alcohol at all there. Um, but yeah, my book launch was last night and I'm feeling really great. I'm feeling on the, on the path, you know, like I feel really in my element and aligned and just like, I'm on this track for greatness. That's how I'm feeling. And it's awesome. And I just really felt connected. And like, usually when I do public speaking, I have sort of like an out-of-body experience where I completely dissociate and like I don't see the crowd and I'm just kind of doing it and then it's over and I don't even remember it. But this time it felt way different. I was able to kind of like sit in and enjoy the space and just breathe into it, you know, and it just uh, felt really good. And that uh, makes me have high hopes for the future. I wasn't as nervous as I usually get, which is great because last time when I did Love Fest, I literally thought I was going to die. I was so nervous. And I was like, did I really sign up for this? Like, do I really want to do this as a career? Like, do I really want this? It feels so bad. <laughs> so I'm so glad that like I felt way better and like way sure of my, way more sure of myself last night. Uh, it really um, instills that like, yeah, I can do this and it's going to be okay. Um, yeah. So, Goodnight City Lights, this poem, um, it's about empathy. And so today I'm going to be talking about empathy and how it correlates to, um, maybe correlates is the wrong word because that has a specific scientific meaning, uh, how it, um, relates, I guess, to, uh, self-control, how empathy and self-control actually have a lot to do with each other. And I'm going to talk about what it means to be an empath. And I'm going to talk about my experience with that uh, coming into recovery. Uh, Before I get into that, I would love to tell you about a poetry workshop that I'm going to be hosting. It's on May 25th. It's at Lucid Yoga, which is a studio downtown. It's just right by the Starlight Room on 102 Street there. Uh, It's such a nice place. It's going to be a really, really awesome event. Uh, May 25th, 
It's going to be 2 to 4 p.m. Anyone is welcome. Even if you've never ridden since like elementary school, something creative, like please come. This is for you. It's all about tapping into your innate creativity that is available to all of us. Whether or not you uh, identify or consider yourself an artist or a writer or a creator, it's there for you. You have it. You can do it. And it's just such a beautiful moment when you can see that. So I would love to show you. Please come. Uh, you can buy tickets for that on Eventbrite, or you can go to my website, denisewalkerspeaks.com, and grab it there. Grab tickets. Come on down. <laughs> okay. Good night, City Lights. It's the 1 a.m. desperate reads of words born from other people's wounds. Shapeless inspiration that claws inward until something stirs. Until it's not just their pain anymore, it's mine. Until my throat burns from their screams. Until my heart aches from their tears. My wounds are their wounds, and I'm bleeding their blood until I crack wide open. And I remember writing this one very specifically. I was sitting in my bed. I was in my old apartment. My boyfriend was sleeping beside me, and I was just scrolling, as you do, through social media. And it's these times when I sort of felt a bit disconnected. Um, as I've mentioned before, like I never had a really terrible rock bottom. I had a high bottom. And if you're unfamiliar with that, uh, people say that you have to have this rock bottom in order to get onto the trajectory towards recovery and healing. But that's not true. Like you don't have to like lose your family or lose your job or lose your house or overdose you know you don't have to get to that point in order to pick yourself back up it is 100% possible for you to recognize the signs early realize that this stuff is not working for you and start heading down the right path you know you don't have to wait for something horrible to happen to you before you change your life so yeah I didn't have anything like super bad happen to me and I'm one of the lucky ones, right? Like I'm not, I'm I'm not disillusioned to thinking that I had it crazy tough. It was definitely really fucking hard to get sober. So I can't even imagine what it's like for for you guys out there who who have had some really really bad things happen. And my heart goes out to you. And oh, I just love you so much. I'm so scrolling. And I would come across so many people, right? So many people who are sober, trying to get sober, and they, they're spilling their hearts out on social media, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm feeling it. And I can just sense the heartache and the grief that they are feeling. And you know what? I never thought that I was an empath. I honestly th like thought that was one of those weird terms for people who are like clairvoyant or like psychic. Like I thought you had to be like this weird spirit child <laughs> uh, to be an empath. Uh, but when I got sober, I found out that was not true. I found that, oh, I think I might be an empath. <laughs> and here is how you can tell. And this is not something that I googled and like was like 13 ways to find out if you're an empath or something like that. This is how I classify myself as an empath. So one, 
you enter a room and you can feel the vibe immediately. You can tell if it's like awesome and people are happy and excited and motivated and ready to get shit done or they're like affected by something and grieving or just drained of all energy. You can just really tell how people are feeling just by the way the room feels. Two, there are people that you find difficult to be around. Sometimes they don't even have to say anything, but the energy they're given off is not making you feel good. Some people that are just um, really excitable and have big, loud, awesome energy. That is so cool. That's so awesome. And I really love when people get like that, right? But if you're not on the same level, that can be a bit much to take on. And same with the other way around. Like if you have someone who is just an energy vampire, you know, who's just taking everything they say is negative and their outlook on life is bleak and they just keep circling the drain with their thought patterns and there's never any shining light in situations for them. There's no silver lining. Everything is just bad. You're, it's really hard to be around those people too. And you just start taking it on. And also three, number three, you go and you are at social gatherings and you get drained easily by the end of the night. Like even if you're loving it and you're having the best time, just having all of that energy inside of you, like high energy, fun party energy, like you still get, get home and you're zapped and wiped and tired. Like honestly, I feel like almost everyone is an empath. Does it, that just describes how anybody reacts to other people, right? It's not this crazy thing where it's like, oh my God. I sense that your dog ran away today. You know, like it's not its not like some weird stuff like that. It's like, not that that's weird, but it's nothing crazy. It's just being able, it's just being sensitive to the emotions of others. And when I was drinking, I didn't think I was an empath. But when I entered into sobriety, suddenly everybody else's emotions were just Oh, seeping into me at this unstoppable rate. It felt like my walls were literally non-existent and I was just this sponge for everybody else's stuff. And I had a really hard time adjusting to it. I feel like I'm kind of getting a grip on it now, but there's still times when I go to work and I have some coworkers that are, are hard to be around or I'm in... Uh, a place where there's just strangers that are acting in a way that I can just feel it and it doesn't feel good and I can't stop it. I can't be like, mm, no, this is my space. I'm fine. My energy is okay. It just, it takes me over. And I think that is truly a part of being an empath as well is not really being able to control when you feel other people's feelings. And Sometimes I get really anxious and I get this horrible feeling in my gut. And somebody said to me, 
when I was talking about this, they're like, do you think it is actually your anxiety or do you think that you're picking up on somebody else's? And when I thought about, like, for example, I was on an airplane, I was flying to Hawaii and I was by myself and I was feeling anxious and I have a history with a fear of flying, but it's getting, it's gotten way better than it was before. So with this anxiety that I was feeling, I was like, oh man, like, can I stop this? Can I stop this? And I hated it. I hated feeling that way. And I just wanted it to end. I just wanted to feel chill (laughs) and no amount of like breath work or like meditation was working until I, until I said to myself, wait, is this mine? Is this actually my anxiety that I'm feeling? And I kind of did this visualization where I sat in my plane seat and I looked and I felt the rest of the plane, and I just imagined other people being scared just like me, and I kind of talked to them in my head, and I know that they couldn't hear me, and I was just doing it for my own, my own good, really, and I I said to them, it's okay, I can hold this anxiety for you, I've got you, and just saying that diffused it, and I felt like it was more of my duty to carry this emotion instead of being in a a position of suffering because of it like it was a burden to carry versus an honor and I just reframed it like that and it really really helped me emotions are really difficult things they are unpredictable and imposing and, and heavy but what an honor that we get to feel them and what an honor it is that we are not numbing ourselves out anymore when I was drinking I couldn't be aware of this stuff every second the second that I would feel bad I would just start to drink and it would turn it off and I think a lot of us a lot of us who are on this path this addiction recovery path we are empathetic and we feel other people's stuff so intimately and it is overwhelming and we shut it off because it's too much but we can do it. We can take it and we can learn to hold it or to give it back if it's not ours. And that is awesome. (laughs) And so I was just scrolling on my phone as you do. And I was looking up empathy and addiction and because, you know, we've all we've all been trained in recovery in any any way that we've we've gotten here or have heard before, you know, through the steps or through hip sobriety school or whatever facet of recovery that you you participated in or maybe even none. But we all know being empathetic and compassionate and being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes and be forgiving and all of these things. We we know all these traits are good, but I didn't know why. You know, I, I know why emotionally, but not why scientifically. And I have a scientific brain as well as a spiritual brain. It's a nice little hybrid. So I wanted to find out why. What is this all about? So I came across this article. It was sort of like a blog post written 
on a website. Uh, it's thecabinchiangmai.com. And it's a rehab facility in Thailand. And it looks awesome. <laughs> and part of me wishes that I had crazy amounts of money back when I was trying to get sober. And I just took myself to some sort of inpatient treatment center in Thailand. Looking back, like, why didn't I do that? Should have, like, robbed a bank or something. That would have been a great way to recover, right? In the jungle somewhere? Oh, man. Swimming pools, massage. I think that would have been beautiful. But they wrote this really cool post. And it's uh, all about um, self-control in addiction and how empathy is kind of the key. So I got to reading, and I'd love to tell you about it. So apparently, the University of Zurich uh, did this study recently on this guy named Alexander. Uh, he did a study, and it's all about the temporal parietal junction, so the right temporal parietal junction, or the RTPJ. RTPJ. And that lives uh, up behind your right ear, that section of your brain. And previously, we thought that self-control, willpower, choice all lived in the prefrontal cortex, which is the front on your forehead-ish area there. But they've discovered that this little section, the RTPJ, actually has to do with empathy and self-control. So there's this test from the 60s that is well-known in that field, allegedly, as I read. Uh, it's called the marshmallow test. And apparently they took these kids, I think they're elementary school kids, and they had 20 of them, and they put marshmallows in front of each of them. And when told that uh, they could either eat the marshmallow now or wait 20 minutes and uh, get two marshmallows, that was the premise. So some of them ate the marshmallow right away and some waited and got double. They checked in with these same individuals later in life to find that the ones that had left the marshmallows alone and waited for the larger prize were generally more successful in life, made more money, scored higher uh, SAT scores, uh, had a lower body mass index, even though I don't know if that's necessarily a show of success because, I don't know, let's not body shame and say that someone who has a larger body mass index is more successful or non, not as successful as someone who has a lower one. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, moving on from that weird tangent. Um, yeah, so being able to delay the gratification something that we're not very good at when we are in addiction, right? We needed that fix immediately. And we did that with everything. It just kind of became the way we were. We, we wanted something, we got it. And we just went through life doing that, right? So this guy from Zurich does this other study. Uh, Sorry, I'm just reading my notes on my whiteboard here. It's awkward. I, like, hung it up on the left-hand side of me, so I have to, like, turn around and look behind me to look at it. Should have wrote it on a piece of paper. What was I thinking? Okay. 
But yeah, so actually back in 2005, these people, Rebecca Sachs and Nancy Canwisher, uh, read some stories to people. And it, it was all about these protagonists who were making bad choices. And they were monitoring people's brains as these stories were being read. And as they heard about these choices, and as the uh, listeners were actively putting themselves in other people's shoes while they were listening to the story, they discovered that the RTPJ section of the brain was being activated and was lighting up. And so this guy, Alexander from Zurich, uh, does this thing uh, where he did two studies. He, he, was, he had 43 people and he disrupted the uh, activation, activization of the RTPJ section. And they had this uh, pretense where you have, you're given a bunch of cash. You can either keep it for yourself or split it with another person. And they found after this RTPJ section of the brain was disrupted that they were more likely to take the cash for themselves than split it with someone else. And they were also more likely uh, to take lesser now than wait and get more later. And then they also took these people and they were all looking at this man in a room And he was looking at a bunch of discs on the wall. And they had to literally put themselves into the perspective of the man to guess how many discs he saw from his perspective. They could see the discs, but not the same way that the man could. So they had to pretend to be the man in order to guess the discs on the wall. And they were able to do so quite well when the RTPJ was not disconnected, but when it was disrupted, they got the answer wrong a lot of the time. And so all this has to do with putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And when you can do that, you're being empathetic. And so that section of the brain is linked with self-control. So if you do this delayed gratification thing and think of yourself, your future self who is sober and doing really well down the line, if, if you think of your future self as a completely different person and you empathize and put yourself in that person's shoes, it helps you to delay the gratification now in order to achieve that. Are you with me? (laughs) Empathy and self-control are linked. It's all in the same section of the brain. The more that we care for other people, the more we strengthen that part of our brains, that muscle grows. We all know it. The more you use a muscle, the bigger and better it gets the more we can be compassionate and help others, the more we help ourselves. We will strengthen our brain and we will be able to delay that gratification, that instant fix feeling. That will be less demanding of us. It will be less triggering and we'll be able to understand 
that waiting is the answer. And waiting. Good things come to those who wait. I literally never, literally, I said literally, what? Good things come to those who wait. I never understood that. I never, well, I mean, of course I understood it, but I didn't get it until I was sober. And my boyfriend actually is like the king of patience when it comes to uh, like life successes and waiting for things, um, putting money away so it can grow, that kind of stuff. And I'm more of a see something, need to have it kind of person when it comes to shopping and money and things like that. So I've been taking a lot of pages out of his book. And I'll tell you time and time again that the number one thing that a man has taught me is patience. And just letting things come as they're meant to instead of trying to force them and wanting things right now. And, you know, not buying things the second that I think I want them. Not doing the thing that's going to make me happy in the moment, but what's going to make my future self happy. And yes, we're thinking of the future self as a different person when we're being empathetic towards her, but she is me, right? I gotta look out for her. The choices that I make now affect the future. It doesn't just affect the now. It affects tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And the more we take steps in the direction of rightness and goodness and happiness, the closer to happiness we will be. All right. So I guess me scrolling and crying in my bed while I read everybody else's stories about their hardships and their wins has made me stronger in my sobriety all along. And I wasn't necessarily harming myself with feeling so sad and so ridiculously happy for people. It was helping me. And it's helping you. This is Good Night City Lights. It's the 1 a.m. desperate reads of words born from other people's wounds, shapeless inspiration that claws inward until something stirs, until it's not just their pain anymore, it's mine, until my throat burns from their screams, until my heart aches from their tears, my wounds are their wounds and I'm bleeding their blood until I crack wide open. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Easter, my friends. And if you are looking for a copy of Pick Your Poison Volume 2, as it was just released two days ago, you can go either to Amazon and buy it there, ebook or Kindle, ver- sorry, ebook, Kindle version, or paperback. Or you can go to my website, denisewalkerspeaks.com, and you can buy it there. And actually, at the end of this week, on Saturday... I'm going to be at Sober Saturday's uh, event called Tidy Up. It's at Find, which is on the south side, uh, their large store with all their furniture. Uh, She's doing this sort of like marketplace, food vendors, female DJs, good times event. Yeah, Saturday, April 28th. I'll be there. Um, My friend Keisha is going to be there doing tarot readings. She's phenomenal. She's sober too. And... I can't wait. So I hope you come. It's it's called Tidy Up because 
Uh, it's all the spring cleaning that's going on right now. And if you come across any furniture items that you no longer want or need, you can bring them to find. Tickets are $5 plus a donation of some sort of household item. And find is sweet. If you don't know about them, uh, they do this uh, housing first project uh, thing. And it's all about families in need, families that can't afford to furnish their homes can go to find and just pick out a bunch of stuff for free because it's been donated by the rest of us. So do that. Come out. It's going to be sweet. Okay. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you're at the event on Saturday, I love you. And I felt you. Thank you for supporting me and coming out. Have a great week. Bye.